uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast on this snowy, snowy Friday edition. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, are you you hunkered down? I'm looking out the window right now, and I see a glorious snow falling here in Oklahoma City. There is a glorious snow falling. Now I've actually got uh, plans this afternoon. Running to El Reno, got some things to do, so I'm going to be out and about. If you're going to be out and about, be careful, be safe. Let's all be cautious on the roads, but... Uh, I I'm actually like the snow whenever it comes in. A lot of people complain about the cold and the snow. In my opinion, if it's going to be cold, it should snow. Those two things should always go together. So I'm fired up for the next several days. Absolutely. My man, Damon Lane on Channel 5, who's been working around the clock, said that it was going to be nothing but snow because it's so cold. We're not going to get any ice, which that's what I hate. Like, if it's going to be yeah. cold and all you get is ice, that's just dangerous and, and no fun for anybody, at least – this is going to be a big, puffy Colorado-type snow for the for the weekend. But, man, it's going to be big. I mean, we'll have to wait and see how accurate the, the forecasts will end up being. But, Colby, they're predicting, like, 20 inches of snow, 15 to 20 inches for some parts of the state. And, it, it, to me, it kind of reminds me of that Christmas Eve we had back in, like, 2009 where it, snowed, it literally snowed about two feet. So, I don't know if it's going to be that bad, but I uh, hope everyone stays safe because it's, it's going to be a big one. Yeah, I remember that Christmas Eve. We got in the truck, and we were going to head from Chickasha to Mustang to go to my grandma's, and we made it about five minutes, and then we had a nice slide, and then we turned around and went back to the house, and we had Christmas at home. So hopefully the roads <laughs> don't get to that point, because I'm actually heading to New Mexico middle of next week, and I'd like for it not to take me 20 hours to get there. Yeah, that would stink. <clears throat> I remember the the drifts were so big, they were going up to like people's roofs back then in, in 2009. <laughs> that was insane. Yeah. And I was just work. I had just started working at channel four and I had a car at the time. I, there's no way I could have driven anywhere. So I was stuck at home for two days. And fortunately I had just gone to the liquor store. So I just got to hunker down and watch all the weather coverage and uh, just kind of imbibe and chill. So, but I'll be working this weekend. So I'll be, I'll be out and about. So I'll have to take it easy as well. So hopefully everyone stays safe out there. The pod is always brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate their support. And please, if you're in Stillwater, go over there, grab you some hideaway pizza, stop by Chris's and, and get you something nice because they're a great company, great people, and uh, we appreciate them sponsoring the pod. But Colby, I wasn't really expecting football news this week, but we did get it. The Oklahoma State football and the entire Big 12 football schedules are out. OSU with a gauntlet on the road, shall we say? Uh, did you see the schedule release? And I want to talk to you about uh, just your initial thoughts. Yeah, I did. You know, I, I see a couple home games early, the game at Boise State for whatever reason. It's just been out of sight, out of mind. I didn't forget that it was happening. It's just, you know, they didn't – they won the game this last year. And with COVID, you know, didn't play Oregon State. So I forgot about the Boise State game. I'm fired up for that. Uh, I actually think Oklahoma State gets a pretty favorable start to conference play with both both Kansas State and Baylor at home, and then you have that off week. But, boy, after that off week, it is pretty brutal. Uh, I mean, you get Kansas there in the middle for homecoming on October 30th. But other than that, from October 16th through November 27th, is pretty brutal. Absolutely. I mean, I, I do like to start as well, although, you know, Mike Gundy, I believe, has a losing record in Big 12 openers. And the first game is against Kansas State at home, which on paper seems totally winnable. 
but for whatever reason, they just do not play well in the first Big 12 game of the, of the season. So at least they got big time tune-ups for uh, before that. Obviously, Tulsa at home. We know their struggles this year against Tulsa, uh, but they do lose Zayvon Collins, and you would think with a, a healthy Spencer Sanders, they should take care of business there. But the road trip to Boise State to me is fascinating. Obviously, Boise has to replace their head coach Brian Harson. That's to OSU's advantage. But and I, and I know this probably isn't the Boise State vintage, you know, blue turf, Smurf turf teams we're used to seeing because they used to challenge for for BCS games every year. But I will say this, Colby, you know, first road game of the year. You go up to the blue turf and you turn it over a few times, you are in for a dogfight. So to me, that's a huge test on the second game of the year. Yeah, it definitely is. And like you said, that's a game that Oklahoma State should win, but it's not your cupcake run-of-the-mill non-conference game. It's a game that you have to play well to win. Like, I, I think Oklahoma State, as good as Tulsa was this past year, like you said, they lose Zayvon Collins. That team's not going to be the same. I think they could play poorly and beat Tulsa. We know they could play poorly and beat Missouri State. I don't think you can play poorly and beat Boise State. And I think if you're looking at the full schedule and trying to predict what Oklahoma State's record is going to be at the end of next season, you look at what's coming later on the schedule, Oklahoma State needs the win against Boise State. If they come into conference play at 2-1, and one, I think that there's going to be some serious questions about what they'll really be able to accomplish because it's certainly not getting easier once you get later in the season. Yeah, you're right. You mentioned, uh, and I'm looking at Boise's, their list of seasons they've lost they lost two games last year two prior three 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 four two five two the last time they only lost one game was back in 2011 so they've they've kind of regressed to a good solid program instead of a program that was really challenging you know the status quo and, and the big boys so that, that certainly is a winnable game like you mentioned but again you're going to go up there and play well but man colby uh you get kansas state at home Baylor at home. I do like that kind of opening slate of Big 12 portion, which you mentioned. Then you get a bye week, which you're going to need because October 16th at Texas, which we have no idea what Texas is going to look like at quarterback. We have no idea what Steve Sarkeesian will do in his first season. But you go at Texas October 16th, and then back-to-back weeks, the very next week you go at Iowa State and Ames, which the the season we thought was going to hinge this year with the back-to-back Texas-Iowa State games, and it really did. I mean, the fact they, they beat Iowa State and they, they gave away the Texas game, now both come on the road. Obviously much tougher doing, doing so away from home. That, that's just a total gauntlet, Colby. It's, uh, that's, that's gnarly scheduling by the Big 12. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And I, I think just my gut is that Texas is going to be better this upcoming year. I think losing both Herman and Ellinger is what that program needed. Uh, they just were stuck in a rut with those two that it seemed like they couldn't get out of. I think Texas is going to be better. And we know what Iowa State is. Iowa State's going to be good. And they just locked up Matt Campbell through 2028. So there's no reason for them not to have, you know, optimism and hope that they can continue to build on what they've already got going. Uh, a lot of guys came back for Iowa State because they're they're really trying to win a conference title and run it back. I think if Oklahoma State goes one and one, Carson, in those two games, I mean, that's a major success. Because let's say theoretically they handled business in the first five, which, uh, again, I'd probably pick them to go four and one in the first five if you if you force me to today. But let's say they do handle the first five. If you can split Texas and Iowa State, you're six and one going into Kansas. You would think you'd win that. So that would put you at seven and one heading into November. And November is going to be brutal. So the, the more wins that they can already have tallied by the time they get to November, the better. Yeah, I think you're right. And it, to me, that would <clears throat> to me that would shape up a lot like some of those seasons where we weren't necessarily expecting Oklahoma State to win, you know, ten double digit, ten win seasons. Like to me, the 2015 game stands out. They started that year 10 and 0. 
won a bunch of close games, weren't really expected to do so. But you're right. If you can just get to five and one, six and one, then you're playing with house money at that point. And I totally agree with that. And so they, you, you mentioned they get Kansas at homecoming. That's obviously a win. And this is where it's, it's interesting. At West Virginia, TCU at home, at Texas Tech. Those are two of the most brutal road trips in the Big 12. Obviously, West Virginia is by far the worst. You fly into, I guess they fly directly into Morgantown. People like you and me, we have to fly into like Pittsburgh and then drive an hour and a half. It's just a, it's a long ways away. It's a tricky road trip, tough place to play. Obviously, we know about OSU's struggles in Lubbock uh, the past couple of years, or I guess the last year when they had all those turnovers with Spencer. So uh, it's not necessarily tough games on paper, but tricky road trips going a long ways away from home. Yeah, it is. And, um, you, you know, I fully reserve the right to change my mind. It is February, so please nobody hold me to this. But if I'm looking at this, I feel like I'm staring eight and four in the face. I, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that this is going to be a six-win team next year, but I certainly don't think that this team can get to 10. I don't know if you had a number you wanted to throw out or if you want to wait, but just my first glance look in February that I fully reserve my right to change my mind is eight and four. Uh, that's what I'm going with too. I mean, I, I feel like I've said that for like the last 15 years though. Don't, don't every season, uh, you just look at the schedule. Yeah, it's about eight and four. That's about yeah, when it usually it. averages, averages out to about that. Right. And then, you know, some years Gundy will surprise with a 10 win season and some years he'll, he'll disappoint with a, a seven or six win season in the regular season. So, uh, let's just go through it. Uh, Tulsa. Win? Uh, Missouri State, win. Oh, I forgot Missouri State. I knew I was missing a game. Uh, Missouri State, win, obviously. Win, Tulsa, yeah. win. Tulsa, win. What do you think about Boise State? I'll give them a win at Boise. I will, too. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game, but I just think they're better. So, I'll go 3-0. and K-State? Uh, I'll give them a loss against K-State. Oh, I'm going win. So four and zero for me, three and one for you. Baylor, Baylor, I'll give them a wait, win. Wait, why do you think they'll lose to K State? Big Twelve uh, opener. I mean, they've had trouble with K State historically. They just put the quarterback back there, run the little quarterback pop pass, and run. Is game Skylar Thompson back for like the twelfth year. I I honestly don't know the answer to that, but Oklahoma State has struggled uh, at times with Kansas State. There've been a lot of close ones with those two teams, and like you said, they struggle in Big Twelve openers. And I just don't think this is a good enough team that we're going to be looking at 5-0 and going into the off week. I feel like there's going to be one that they're going to give away in there. And so if I have to pick one, I'm, I'm picking Kansas State. Yeah, the coaching matchup of Chris Kleiman and Mike Gundy concerns me. And Chris Kleiman, well, the wins he's had, he's beat OU twice with Skylar Thompson. So he certainly could come to Stillwater and win. So I, yeah, maybe I'm just looking at this optimistically. but No, and I think that, you know, even to elaborate a little bit more on that point, Mike Gundy obviously has a better resume as a coach than Chris Kleiman does. But as far as in-game coaching right now in 2021, I do think there's reason for concern there. Well, I will go undefeated. Uh, Baylor, I think they're going to beat Baylor. I don't, I don't think Baylor. they're gonna, they're not going to be very good. Uh, they have changeover at quarterback as well. So you got them, what, a 4-1? and one? I got them at 5-0? and oh. Yep. And then we go at Texas. At Texas. Oh, man. This is the one that I'm struggling with. I'm between this one and another one later on the schedule. Uh, I'll go with a win at Texas. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm going loss. And, again, that's that, to me it has less to do with Texas and more to do with – I just can't get the last trip to Texas out of my head where 
the conservative the conservative nature uh, down near the goal line just bit them in the rear end. And I just Spencer Sanders on the road in Austin. I just they can certainly win the game, but I'm I'm gonna go with a loss. I just I don't like the way that that game sets up at all. From so we're from both five and one, but we've gotten there different ways. Yep. At Iowa State. At Iowa State, loss. Yes, I agree. Kansas win, win at West Virginia. I'll go win. Oklahoma State's been good in Morgantown. I still don't think that I like Chris Kleiman. I think is really getting his footing at Kansas State. I don't get the same feeling in Morgantown. See, I think Neil Brown did a good job last year. I think he's fine. I just, I just don't see them having much of an upward trajectory. If that makes sense. Yeah, I need to. I haven't done any research, obviously, this early in the season. But they, I think they lose this one of the Stills brothers on the defensive line, which would be huge uh, for OSU going up against them. I'll go with a win. Gundy likes Gundy wins in West in Morgantown. Just plain and simple. Um, so I'll go. I'll go with a win there. TCU at home. TCU at home. I'll take that L, Carson. Wow, Gary Patterson bites him again. I mean, the two teams in purple in this conference have really given <laughs> Oklahoma State fits in recent years. They Gary have, and especially those games just tend to be ugly. It's November. It's just, it's one of those games that I, I just don't feel good about. So I'll go first glance. TCU is a loss. Who's playing quarterback at TCU? Has it mattered the last few years when they played Oklahoma State? I guess it's Max Duggan again. Uh, but I tell you what, they got the transfer from OU, Chandler Morris. That kid's good. Oh, Peter yeah. It might good. be Morris. I, I know November, it might be Morris. I think by the time they play, it'll be Morris if he's, if he's healthy. Uh, I'm going to go with a win just because I – I think the uncertainty with TCU's offense to me, I think there's a big, you know, I guess Doug Meacham's back in town. It feels like it's like his third tenure at TCU as offensive coordinator. Kenny Trill's the quarterback coach. I just think OSU's top to bottom better than TCU. It didn't matter this year or this past season because their offense for OSU was so bad. I just think they're going to be better offensively by the time they play in November. And, and I think OSU's better defensively as well since – you know, TCU loses the, the Thorpe Award finalist, uh, Morig or whatever his last name is from the safety position. So slight lean. I'm not confident about it, but I'll go win. Uh, at Texas Tech. At Texas Tech, give me a win. I'll go loss. Oh. And again, I just, I think maybe I have just too much recency bias. I, I cannot get the last trip to Lubbock out of my head. All the turnovers. They don't ever seem to just go there and play a clean game in Lubbock. It's always weird. There's always a ton of turnovers, lots of points. I, I don't, I know, and I know Mike Gundy used to own Mike Gundy used to own Texas Tech. Uh, I know he got him this year, but he's he's had some struggles against them. So I just I think that's that's one of those losses you just you don't see coming. And mid game, you're tweeting during the game like, how are they losing to this team? Why are they playing so terribly? That's that's kind of how I see that game playing out. Yeah, I. That can certainly happen against Texas Tech. We've seen that happen against Texas Tech, but I don't know. I just that's still a hard game for me to pick Oklahoma State to lose. Tech's program has just really struggled. But then we get to the fun one on November twenty seventh that I'm sure nobody can guess how we're gonna pick. Uh Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler, Lincoln Riley, uh probably the best OU team they've had since twenty oh probably twenty 2010, maybe, but probably 2008, the team that made it to the national championship game. I think they are just loaded. Yeah, I think they are too. I think if Ronnie Perkins were to come back, I would 
maybe be picking them to win the national championship. That's how good I think Ronnie Perkins is. They'll still be good up front defensively, but uh, I think in a college football playoff, a guy like Ronnie Perkins could be the difference in losing by a field goal and winning by a field goal. Uh, that being said, I don't think that'll be the difference in the Big 12. Also, I'm on record on this very podcast as saying Mike Gundy will not beat Lincoln Riley uh, at any point when they're the, the two <laughs> head coaches at Oklahoma State and at Oklahoma. So I'm going to go ahead and chalk that one up as a loss, Carson. Uh, I would agree. I mean, we all know Mike Gundy's history against Oklahoma, and that's against that's against some OU teams, as I've mentioned. This is why it's I think you can really criticize his record against Oklahoma and that he hasn't played a ton of just vintage you know, th those early 2000s teams with Bob Stoops, like those were national championship contenders every single year. And he's been losing to some some down, like the 2014 OU team is probably the worst team Bob Stoops had. Uh, that's obviously the one, the, one of the one wins Mike Gundy has. Uh, 2013 loss was inexcusable in Stillwater. He's lost to some some down OU teams, and now they're kind of on the on the up and up, and they're certainly national title contenders this year. So I just I think the gap is, is, is only widening, which makes his record even more disappointing. But I don't know. Big opportunity for Spencer Sanders. Um, you know, anytime OU comes to town, it's going to be a fun night in Stillwater. I'm, I'm, how do you feel about it being the last game? I, I thought it would help OSU playing middle of the year in terms of, like, conservative nature with Mike Gundy. But it turned out it, it had the exact opposite effect. He was almost more conservative than ever with the game in the middle of the season this past year. Yeah, my fault, Carson. I muted myself. I, uh, I'm done trying to talk myself into the, the <laughs> game being scheduled at a different time of year. It means Gundy's going to coach a different way in Bedlam. I just, I think that that is um, false hope is what I would call that. False hope that that's going to make a difference. I don't know. We've seen Go Gundy coach the way he coaches in Bedlam in middle October, in late November. I always like it on the last week of the season because that's just what I grew up with. That's kind of what I've always known. Uh, and we're, we're creatures of habit, are we not? So I, I like it at the end of the season. There most likely will be something on the line. Even if there's not anything major on the line for Oklahoma State, they'll still have a real chance to play spoiler in the last week of the season. So I, I like it as the final game. I do too. To me, it just gives you something way more to look forward to uh, than opposed to like this past year. What was our last game this past year? Uh, at, was it the TCU? Baylor game? Yeah, it was Baylor after the COVID. Oh yeah, the the Baylor, the the match the unit that they got to play, Baylor's JV unit who they got to just whoop up on. That was yeah. that was a lot of fun. I I just think Bedlam's just so much fun. It's the the entire state focuses on it. It's near Thanksgiving. I just I've always liked that. So uh, I I agree that that's that's a lot of fun. And obviously Jerry World last game of the year, Big Twelve championship game. Obviously. Iowa State and Oklahoma are tremendous favorites to make it to that game, um, but it uh, should be a fun Big 12 season. Are you picking uh, OU to beat Iowa State? Uh, yeah, I'm picking OU to beat everybody who plays in the Big 12. Yeah, that's... I'll, I'll take OU next year at 13-0 uh, headed into the playoff. Wow. I, I tend to agree. OU's got kind of a funky schedule themselves, but uh, they're just head and shoulders. Their problem is they lose games you don't expect. You know, like oh, I the, know. the Kansas State of the world, the Kansas States of the world. I so. think that for for no reason at all, next year is going to be the year that OU doesn't drop a cupcake. Every year they lose to an Iowa State or a Kansas State, and it's always hilarious. We always make fun of them. Occasionally TCU will get them. You know, um, it it happens. 
But this year, I just don't think it's going to because I think they're a lot better on the defensive side of the ball than they've been uh, at any point really in the last probably decade. As dominant as they've been, Colby, do you know the last time they went undefeated in the regular season? Uh, in the regular season? Boy, I'm going to guess. Oh, give me 2008. 2004. Whoa. A Big 12 team hasn't gone undefeated in the regular season since 2009, Texas. Wow. And before that, it was 04, or I guess 05, Texas did it as well. But 09, I Texas is the that. last Big 12 team to go undefeated in the regular season. Yeah, I didn't think I was going out on a limb there, but I guess, you know, you always forget how hard it is to go undefeated in college football to get 18, 19, 20, and 21-year-olds to go out and be consistent every seven days when they've got school going on and life and girls and bars and whatever else is going on. Um, it just doesn't happen very often, but I feel like in college football, and I feel like we're seeing this theme nationally as well, not just in the Big 12, the gap between the haves and the have-nots is getting bigger, and I think that the Big 12 has not been immune to that. I think that the gap between Oklahoma and the rest of the conference has gotten bigger over the last few years, and I think we're going to see it really rear its head this year. Well, and I, I just think uh, they went to the round-robin schedule in 20 what 2011 so I, I don't think that's any coincidence we haven't seen a team go undefeated since then. i mean you play nine conference games yeah. you play every single team in the conference something the sec cannot say coaches just, get used to seeing each other get used to scheming around each other yeah and like like you mentioned like anytime you get to november and you're undefeated those games get really tough but especially when you're playing nine conference games and you're playing every single team there's no hiding from anybody so that makes it really tough but uh, yeah, twelve we, we one for OU is probably a safer bet than thirteen and zero. But I already said it, so I'll stick with it. It's February. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't see anybody beat. I mean, maybe Iowa State gets them in the regular season. I think that's the only team they could probably lose to in the regular season, which they would obviously get a chance to to play them again should Iowa State take care of business. But um, so we have some more football news here, Cole. We don't talk a lot of recruiting on this show, but I did think it was interesting. OSU got three commitments. Uh, a cornerback, Cameron Epps, who's six foot three, great size, a three-star defensive end, and Landon Dean commits as well. And then this has Mason, uh, Mason, uh, this has Casey, I almost called him Mason Dunn. <laughs> Casey Dunn, this has his fingerprints all over it. Uh, Pahuska wide receiver, Mason Gilkey, who has no offers other than OSU, and it's he's from Pahuska. I mean, this has... Just Casey Dunn's fingerprints all over it and that finding like a gem, like a James Washington who was playing like 1A football in Texas. So OSU's up to like top 15 class in the country on 247, which again, it's so early that you just get any commitments. It, it shoots you way up the rankings. But hey, at least uh, at least they're doing some some good recruiting. Yeah, I mean, it's better to start at 15th and try to stay there than it is to be in the 50s <laughs> and then try to claw your way up in the last few weeks. So, um, you know, I saw the Landon Dean stuff on Twitter. He had offers from Iowa State, Kansas State, and Eastern Michigan. So this is a guy that, you know, a, a few other schools in the Big 12 were looking at and wanted six foot four. Uh, he's been a, a defensive end and a tight end in high school, probably going to be a defensive end at Oklahoma State. So, uh, like I said, better to recruit well early and then hope you keep these guys locked in and can add some to it than to get off to a slow start and have to make it up late in the cycle. Yep, I'm with you. Uh, the Cameron Epps kid's intriguing that he's six foot three. That's just, yeah, that's elite size for a corner. You wonder how well he can cover at that size. But he, I mean, he's from St. Louis. And I just love 
any and all football players out of St. Louis. Ronnie Perkins, who you mentioned, yeah, was from St. Louis. Say, Ronnie Perkins, St. Louis guy. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Jeremy Macklin comes to mind. There's just a lot of good players come out of there. And he has a lot of good offers. I mean, Arkansas, uh, K-State, Michigan State, West Virginia, uh, Boston College. So he's got some good offers. That's I look more at who's offered than I do yeah. how many stars there are. How many offers and who, to me, matters yeah, the most because those people know what they're doing. So, yeah. Anyway. You know, I, I like – I like seeing recruits that Oklahoma State's gotten that have actually had offers from other Division One Power Five programs. The worst is when you go in to look at some low-level <laughs> three-star that Oklahoma State's recruited, and you're like, "Ooh, who, what offers does this guy have?" And it's like New Mexico State and Colorado State, and it's like, "Ah, oh, big winner there." Yeah, that's that's usually when you just sigh and go, "Yeah, that's that looks about right." Yeah. Uh, but speaking of the Pahuska kid, like, I, I think Philip Montgomery did a great job at Tulsa this year. I thought he was going to get fired after the OSU game. He, he proved me wrong and, and did a really good job. But I don't know what they're doing with Tulsa recruiting. How does OSU offer this Pahuska kid before Oklahoma State? How does OSU offer any of the Presleys before Tulsa does? Like, you're just – you're not doing your job. Just recruit the city of Tulsa, and you'll be pretty dang good. There's so many good kids out of, out of there that don't go to OU and OSU that – they just don't bother to recruit. It makes zero sense to me. I've never understood it. They, they drug their feet to get the, uh, the offensive lineman uh, legacy kid, Ostrowski or however you say his last name. So I, for, all my, for all the listeners up in Tulsa, I, I don't know what, I don't know what the, the Golden Hurricane are doing up there. Yeah, and, you know, the, the big one that I've always thought I couldn't believe they let get away was Mason Fine, who wound up at North Texas and yes. pretty much broke, broke all the records that North Texas has ever had. Um, I did see something the other day, you know, with COVID and everything and guys having the ability to come back, there's going to be like this one-time waiver to extend past the 85 scholarship limit and, and kind of just do some things with scholarships where you can have more guys in. And somebody correct me if I'm wrong, because I saw this the other day on t Twitter. I tried to Google it and I can't find it. But I believe Tulsa is one of a few programs in college football that said due to financial and academic reasons, they won't be extending any more scholarships, they're still going to have the same number, which obviously is going to be tricky if some guys decide to come back and then you've got guys coming in in the new classes. So I'm curious to see how that all works. But back to your original point, Carson, that, there are so many in-state guys who can't go to OU or OSU who would love to go to Tulsa and wind up at North Texas and at New Mexico State and Tulane and these Conference USA schools. And Tulsa should keep any in-state talent that just isn't quite good enough to be at Oklahoma State or Oklahoma should be at Tulsa. So um, I, I don't know what their strategy is recruiting-wise. Maybe they try to do it and they just can't land a lot of these kids. But it is kind of disappointing to see because it was fun this past year when Tulsa was good. Yeah, I mean, they, they just don't even offer some of these kids. Like, yeah. and who knows? They might not get them, but, like, you're not doing your job if you're not recruiting Tulsa. So, and again, I don't, I don't give a rip about Tulsa football. I think, you know, they barely have – enough fans to fill a high school stadium. So I don't, I'm not, I've never been like a Tulsa fan or anything. I just, it just bothers me that these Tulsa kids just, they're just letting them go. I just, it makes no sense to me. And if I was a Tulsa coach, I'd be recruiting the hell out of Union Jinx, Bixby, all the powerhouses. So anyway, uh, Tevin Jenkins getting a lot of draft buzz. Colby, I, I believe five different mock drafts have him going number 20 to the Chicago Bears. So we could probably pencil him in right there. Which, uh, you know, when he declared, I, I was like, oh, he's, he's obviously a, a great offensive lineman at OSU. He'll probably go second, third, fourth round. But so many people were projecting him to go in the first round, which I believe would be the first 
the first first-round offensive lineman since Russell Okun for, for Oklahoma State. Yeah, seeing all the hype that Tevin Jenkins is getting is, is really a couple of emotions for me. Number one, really happy for Tevin Jenkins. He was at Oklahoma State for a long time, did a lot of good things. And number two, it just makes me terrified to think what the Oklahoma State offensive line is going to look like without a top-20 pick. I mean, that, that's what the offensive line looked like with a top-20 pick. So what's it look like with that guy gone? That part terrifies me, but it's going to be a lot of fun that Thursday night. I don't have the draft dates in front of me, but the Thursday night, whenever Tevin Jenkins' name is called, that'll be a lot of fun for Oklahoma State fans. Yeah, that will be a lot of fun. It's, it's rare to see a first-rounder go. I'm looking at these mock drafts. One of them has Jenkins going 24 to the Steelers. Uh, Rodarius Williams, the next one off the board for OSU, 80, number 89 overall, which would be great for him, to the Cleveland yep. Browns. Yeah, that'd be uh, a second direct, second day pick. Yeah, 94th overall. I guess Rodarius would probably rather go higher than 89th, obviously. but uh, He'd like to, but that's still first first couple good. days. If you don't have to wait till Saturday to get your name called, you're okay. Yeah, no doubt. And Tylen Wallace, 94 overall to the Tampa Bay Bucks, the defending champs. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, God, Chuba all the way at number 122 to the Tennessee Titans. So that would be disappointing for Chuba, but that'd be a fun – like, that's a – that's a great situation, I think, in terms of you go play behind Derrick Henry, you offer a completely different d- dimension than he does to where on third downs, you know, Derrick Henry doesn't catch a lot of passes to where I think you could carve out a real role on a good a good playoff team. Yeah, I think so too. It's, you know, last year, whenever Chuba decided to come back, we all said, and we all knew, look, this is his decision to make. It's obviously a big risk. This could hurt his draft stock because it's unlikely that his stock will ever be higher than it is now. And it, it did. It clearly hurt Chuba's draft stock to come back. That doesn't mean he can't be successful in the NFL. You know, you get drafted in the fourth round and you go somewhere and prove that you're the guy. I mean, Chris Carson was drafted in the seventh round, I think, by the Seahawks, and he went up and proved that he could be the guy. Um, so, you know, sh- do I want him to go somewhere behind Derrick Henry? I'd probably prefer somewhere like Chicago, where I think David Montgomery's okay, but you could be in more of a timeshare for carries. Um, Chuba got better catching the ball out of the backfield, but I still wouldn't describe that as a specialty of his. So I don't know what the best fit is for Chuba, but I'm, I'm rooting for him so hard at the next level. Yeah. I can't wait for the draft. I love the NFL draft. And, oh, I do too. Uh, it's going to be great to see all the OSU names and see what situations they end up in. Let's talk a little hoops, Colby. Uh, Kate Cunningham, obviously it's been well-documented. You mentioned Fran Fraschilla wouldn't stop talking about it on the last broadcast in that, He's slow to come out of the gates in the first half, and then he just goes bananas in the second half. Well, Marshall Scott put the numbers out there for everyone to see. He's averaging 6.4 points per game in the first half, 11.8 in the second half. His field goal percentage in the first half is 36%. It's 50% in the second half. So the numbers play it out. Our eyeballs tell us it plays out like that. Uh, I I would like to see him be more aggressive as well, but – I don't know. He's he's played well enough in the second halves when games are on the line to where, you know, obviously you're concerned about it, but it, I don't think it's nearly as big a deal as as Fran's making it out to be. Yeah, I, I don't either. I think that it was definitely overblown. And look, I get why some people say that because a lot of his points, especially lately, have been scored in the second half. But I just think that that's the, the flow of the game. In the first half, I think he's really trying to – for lack of a better term, feel the game out, get his teammates involved, just kind of figure out what that game needs from him and then figure out what he needs to do in the second half to win the game. 
and and maybe I don't know, maybe it is a mentality where he could go out and try to win it in the first half because it definitely doesn't seem like he's trying to win it in the first half. It seems like he's just trying to feel the game out. But man, it's a forty-minute game and he's playing about thirty-five of them. I I don't have any complaints with a guy stepping it up when the game's on the line. I, I don't know. It's yeah, his first halves haven't been great, but when the game's on the line, the dude steps up and, and does what needs done. And I just I feel like somehow that's gotten twisted into being a bad thing, and I definitely don't think it is. Yeah, I'm with you. And I just think the the struggles of Isaac Likely have just further exacerbated the the packing of the paint, the double teams, the triple teams at time, the traps that, that Cade sees. And I think that's contributed to his turnover numbers going up. And Jerry Trammell wrote a really good article about Isaac Likely getting worn down. Mike Boynton suggested he might need to get him some rest. Obviously, they play Kansas State. On Saturday, you would think that would be a good opportunity. Then Iowa State as well. The next two games, it feels like they can get a chance to get likely more healthy because, you know, Barry had the numbers here, Colby. Uh, likely averaged 12 points on 58% shooting through 12 games, first 12 games. The last six, he's averaging six points per game at 31% from the field. That just shows you how far his production has tailed off on the offensive end. And we, we talked about the foot injury he's had. He's not a good enough outside shooter to where if he's hobbled a little getting to the rim, he's just nowhere near as effective. And I think once he gets right and gets back to the like we, we, we know, like that'll open up so many more things for Cade and the offense. Yeah, I think so too. Obviously, you know, we've talked about it some. Knowing that he's hurt actually makes me feel a little bit better about his production because for a while I was, I was concerned. I'm like, is this, is this just what ice is going to be able to give them now? But look, when guys play through injuries, it's not going to be the same. It's just not. And he's trying to gut it out. But, I mean, you got Kansas State, Iowa State as your next two games. If he needs rest, I think you've got to trust that Cade, Rondell, Bryce, uh, M.A., you know, Flavors. I think you've got to trust that those guys, Avery Anderson, can get it done against Kansas State and Iowa State without ice. Because if you want to win some of these games late in the season, if you want to make a run in the tournament, I think you're going to need a healthy Isaac Likely. So I would not hesitate to sit him down for the next two games if he needs it. Yeah, I'm with you. And look, OSU probably isn't good enough to just sit him completely. I think you got to win these two games because if you lose either of these two, you're you're really going to hurt your your seeding come tournament time, and uh, that'd be disastrous. So, again, Chris University Spirit brings us this podcast each and every week. We appreciate them sponsoring the pod. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com if you want to brave the snow. Head over to Chris's on uh, in Stilly and uh, hit them up. They're they're a great company and and great people. Uh, time for one interesting thing, Colby. I'll start so you can look for yours. Uh, we haven't talked about this yet. The NCAA video games coming back. College football from EA Sports, they announced a few weeks ago. They're bringing it back. Uh, I don't think they're going to have names or anything with all the name, image, and likeness uh, stuff. That's still, Even though all that stuff's come about, they're still probably not going to have names and everything. But that, this was like the most important. This was like the most important thing to me when I was in college, not going to class. It was like, who wants to challenge me in NCAA? Because I was pretty good at it, and I loved the game and obviously played it for years. But uh, the question I have for you is, did you play it in college? And which player, since the game's been gone over the past six, seven years, which player or players from OSU would you wish you could have played with on the game? Uh, good questions. I, I did play it both in high school and in college. I probably played it more in high school. Uh, my buddy who lived right down the street, we both had it. He'd come down. We played 07, 09. Uh, those were some good ones. I remember just throwing quick slants and, and go routes to Dez over and over and over <laughs> again. Um, so yeah, played a lot of it. I was 
pretty good at it. Probably could have given somebody the business about 10, 15 years ago. Probably not so much anymore. Uh, guys I would have wanted to see over the last five or six years. I think Chuba, whenever he would have gotten his rating after uh, after mm. the 2019 season, his his speed rating, his elusiveness rating would have been off the charts, uh, would have been awesome. And then Tylen. I think you could throw to Tylen kind of the way you threw to Dez on the old ones, just basically do anything you can to get him in one-on-one coverage and just throw it up to him. And he's probably going to make the play most of the time. So I say Chuba and Tylen would be my two main. Yeah, I agree with both of those. Chuba would have had to have had 99 speed and acceleration. Oh, that would have been just have. insane because he has the track speed to go with it. Uh, I think it would have been interesting to have the Rudolph to Washington connection. I just wonder if the game would simulate how high Mason Rudolph threw the football. I mean, anyone who went to an Oklahoma State football game when Mason was playing, do you remember how high he would loft it up? The arc oh, yeah. on his his passes would go up to like the sweet level and then just drop, you know, straight down to, to Washington. So it'd be fun to do go routes with them. Uh, I have two. Uh, Tywin obviously would be great as well, but just for humor's sake, I would line Jelani up in the Wildcat. I would I would bust out the Jelani uh, dozer, the woodshed package near the goal line at six foot seven. I love 260. It. Uh, you would not be able to stop that. And when I played, I was older than you. So I played like 03, 04, 05 in college. You know, I'm a huge Florida State fan. For people who don't know, me and Adam Lunt, both huge Seminole fans. So I'd always play with Florida State. And back then they had this linebacker named Ernie Sims who had like 92 speed. So I would literally just, he's an outside linebacker. I would just put him on the edge and just sprint at the quarterback every single play. And people just could not. They tried to put a running back back there and chip at him. They tried to put a tight end over there and chip at him. It just didn't help. And I would just get like a million sacks and be up for like the Heisman as a linebacker. So with that being said, Calvin Bundage is my answer on defense. Like I think Ooh. his speed rating would have been really good. Obviously, he's lighter, quicker. I think I would have just taken him on the edge and just gone after the quarterback every single play and, and done the Ernie Sims treatment with Calvin Bundage. That would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, that would have been a good one to come around the edge with bondage. Um, man, there's a lot of guys that have come through college football since it went away. And isn't it going to be like where they uh, don't put the players' names on the back of the jersey? It's just the numbers and the school, of course. Yeah, you know, the quarterback, the quarterback number three for Spencer Sanders. Yeah. The full roster Which, with all the names. Somebody will have a downloaded roster as soon as the game comes out. Yeah, so. they'll do it just like they always have. Oh, there's the annual dog appearance. Um. I wonder if they'll have enough space, enough memory space for all the new uniforms. Oh, because like question. before they only had like, you know, five or six different ones. I guess you could pick the different helmets and jerseys and pants, but obviously OSU now has like 30 helmets to choose from. I don't, that might be like an expansion pack. You got to pay for to get all the OSU gear. Uh, yeah, that would be interesting. That's one thing I hadn't thought of, you know, a bunch of kids are going to be playing this game might be attracted to the OSUs and organs of the world because you get your 100 different uniform combinations. Yeah, I say all this. I don't even own a video game system anymore. So <laughs> I quit playing years ago. But uh, still I, got an I, Xbox I, One. It doesn't get turned on very often, though. I take that back. My wife and I use it to watch, uh, like, Netflix and Prime and stuff. Yeah, that's true. My fiancé still has an N64, so we'll bust out Mario Kart every now and then when friends are over just for just nostalgia's sake. Yeah. What's your one interesting thing? My one interesting thing, mine's not as fun as yours um, because mine's golf-related and it's Ricky Fowler-related. And, Carson, Ooh. I just am really starting to get worried. I don't think Ricky Fowler's going to be in the Masters this year. He's got to do something in the next month 
to qualify and get himself in. And, and the golf that he's playing right now, just it's not going to work. He shot even par yesterday at Pebble. Pebble was playing as easy as it's ever played. Patrick Cantlay tied the course record, and about 70 other guys were at least two or three under par. Shot even, and he's already won over on his round today, early in the round through three holes. So it, I don't think he's going to make the cut this week. And then it starts getting real dicey where he's almost going to have to win a tour event in the next three, four weeks to get himself into the Masters. And Carson, it's, it's going to be weird. It's going to be kind of sad and depressing to watch a Masters without Ricky Fowler, but I think we are on a crash course toward it. Yeah, it's bizarre to watch because I watched most of his round yesterday, and it's putting. Like, Ricky has always been one of the best putters in the world. And now he – I saw he missed, like, a four-footer on 18 for, for bogeys. I mean, I, he just – he's been tinkering with his putters, and so he's always – He's changed his swing, which obviously is a big reason why his his world rankings outside the top fifty. But even something something as so simple and you know should be routine for him as putting, he can't even do that. So I, I'm really worried about him making it back from this. This is a Jordan Spieth level fall. I mean, he's outside the top fifty, like you mentioned, and I think we're going to see him on a lot less commercials if this keeps up. I mean, he's I I do wonder. You know, anytime you, you lose your game like to this magnitude, I do wonder if it's time for a caddy switch. I don't know if that'll help. I mean, maybe he needs to go back to Butch Harmon. I don't know. I'd be I'd be looking at every possible solution because it's it's really bad. Yeah, and I'm sure he is. I'm I'm sure he's searching, trying to find whatever is going to work, but he just hadn't found it right now. And unfortunately, the the clock's ticking on Augusta. So that's not to say that he can't get it back later in the season or something. But I think that the time is just running out. Um, unless he just drastically turns a corner, the time is running out for him to make his way to Augusta. Yep, I'm with you. So Pebble Beach can be a lot of fun to watch. So it's not a great field, but just anytime they show, you know, Pebble, it's just glorious sight. I got to get out there at some point. But uh, this year will not be the year, especially with all the snow moving in. Colby, stay warm, stay safe. Uh, we'll get back with you. I guess you're going on a ski trip next week. Yes, I am. I'll, I'm available early in the week, and then I am going to go uh, tear up some mountains. So, okay. can't wait. Well, we'll get back with you first thing uh, next week. Hopefully, OSU gets a win in basketball, and uh, hopefully everyone stays safe. We appreciate it, Colby. We'll talk to you then. Absolutely. Everybody have fun in the snow.